From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is kind of like the Sunday Sprint, where we record it, talk about the NFL games, and it posts immediately right before the games start. Uh, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net is with me. We are inside of two hours until the President's Cup tees off. We're going to talk about the President's Cup. We're going to talk about a, 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 a bunch of different things. But I know, Ryan, the number one thing you want to talk about today are these changes to the amateur status rule. You've been, you've been pushing for this for two years. It's the biggest story in sports right now, and I know you're excited about it. I'm genuinely excited about <laughs> the changes to the rules of amateur status, but uh, I don't know what all the changes are yet, so I, I wish I had. I honestly, I would talk about it for 30 minutes. I think it's fascinating, but, uh, but at least the good news is every amateur golfer now can win a hole-in-one prize of whatever size they would like and yes. still remain an amateur, yes. thank God. Which is major for those of us who enjoy partaking in, uh, in such things. All right. I hate hot takes. Ryan, you've been on my podcast for what, six? I, 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 I feel like you've been on forever, but it's got to be five, six years. I don't think I've ever really been hot takey on this podcast, have I? Not that I've experienced. Right. So for me to say that Patrick Reed is a cheater is not of my, it's not something I want to do. I want to be able to say that Patrick Reed is a cheater the same way that I can say Tiger Woods has 82 wins by factual information. But so that's where I come from on this. What happened at the Hero, I did not spot live. Whoever spotted it live before the zoom in has really good eyesight because uh, I did not see that live. But when you see the NBC it zoomed in, it's clearly a blatant violation. His explanations for it have all been bullshit. You do it twice, which makes no sense to me. And then video comes that, that shows that you did it four years prior. The one that's befuddled me, we will get to Patrick in a second, is, is Slugger White. I have seen take after take that Slugger White essentially is a baby, that the PGA Tour should have done more. You, as a credentialed media member, might know this. I believe if Patrick Reed was going to be disqualified for purposely cheating, wouldn't Slugger have to bring that to the committee, and wouldn't that ultimately probably have to go to Jay Monahan and his discretion in that spot? Because that's a major next step you're taking. If you're about to disqualify somebody for blatantly cheating, for for basically... You know the the nuclear option of of the golf rule book. I believe that might have to go to Jay Monahan. And to me, I don't get the people who are mad at Slugger White. Slugger White's just doing, in my opinion, what Slugger White's job is. So, where do you fall on all this? I, I mean, I agree with you. I'm, I'm almost certain, but I'm very confident that Patrick Reed did what he did on purpose. However. The rule that he violated does not factor intent into it. So he could have done it on purpose, and he could have done it on accident, and he'd still get the same two-stroke penalty, the general penalty. And that's the same for pretty much every rule, except a couple of the more recent ones, including around anchoring. Intent doesn't matter. And so 
from the application of the rule standpoint, the exact rule that was applied, it didn't matter if he did it on purpose, uh, for better or for worse. Slugger writes, Slugger White's remedy, though, to disqualify Patrick isn't under the rule which he penalized him. The remedy to do that is just written into Rule 1, uh, which is basically if you violate the rules in the spirit of the game, in other words, if you're a blatant cheat, then you can be disqualified by the committee, the tournament committee. Now, Slugger White is effectively the committee, so he wouldn't have to go necessarily to Jay Monahan to give him a DQ. But you're taking an extraordinary step because that rule, at least in my 20 years of golf fandom and 10 years of reporting professionally, I've never seen that rule applied. Nor have I. Anybody. So that would be a a pretty big deal for that to have happened. Um, I, I do recall there was an LPGA event about 10 years ago where there was uh, two players were penalized disqualified for the, the idea of like a potential collusion of cheating um, but I don't even think that rule was applied then so it, it, it would be almost unprecedented for Slugger White to have taken that next step and said alright you did this on purpose you did it twice on purpose you need to be disqualified Don't you also think that there is part of this? Slugger is looking at the incident, and that's all he's looking at. And I think some of these people who want Slugger to go the next step are taking in everything that goes back to his Georgia days, other stuff that's happened on tour. As much as Slugger might know that, that's not his job in that spot. And I think some people are asking Slugger to make a leap that he can't make because it's not his job to judge He's not the HR department deciding through this person's resume, recommendations, references, and other and, and, and other opinions where you fall on this. He's just trying to see what the heck happened here on the 11th hole in the Bahamas and make that ruling, and that's it. Right. Your priors, your prior convictions, don't mean anything in the application of the rules at the present. Um, and I understand why people want a harsher penalty for Patrick Reed because of his prior convictions and his reputation that precedes him, but that's just not how the application of the rules work. And in part, that's one of the problems with the rules, uh, that intent is not supposed to matter. It's, it's just what's supposed to, you're supposed to be judged on what happened and if it did or didn't violate the rules. Um, and they're supposed to limit gray areas, but unfortunately, in limiting gray areas, you kind of also neuter the committee under the rules of golf and their power to take extraordinary measures if they feel it's part of a pattern or if they feel someone is doing something blatantly bad. You, you basically have a nuclear option that no one uses, and taking that would mean its own set of precedents. John to Ryan Boundy here on Teeing It Up Before the President's Cup. Um, the next thing that I... Um, do not understand, are those that believe that Tiger Woods should have knocked Patrick Reed off of Team USA for the President's Cup because in doing such, he has condoned Patrick Reed's activity. Huh? What? I don't get that one, Ryan. I mean, I I feel like maybe that's a logical leap to get to that that specific conclusion, but... I, I can understand why someone would say 
take Reed off the team at the last minute because now he is a liability. He is a distraction. Whoever you pair him with, they're going to get heckled. When he plays a singles match, whoever it's against on Sunday, hopefully Cameron Smith, he's going to get heckled. He's going to hear it every single time, every place he is for those four days. Do you want that? Is he, is he worth that much? If you make that argument to me, I can say, okay, yeah, I think that makes sense. If, if you don't think Patrick Reed's playing well enough to earn you, you know, three points or he's going to cost you two or whatever, do the math. If it's worth it, then, all right, you can take him out, force him to the sideline and, and put, uh, I don't know, Kevin Kistner or something in there. But I, I, I can't buy that just because he was a scoundrel, a cheating scoundrel in a tournament that he can't be one of the 12 best available American players. So I, I, I can't make that leap. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Now, I love Justin Thomas. I love Mike Thomas, his father. He was very nice to me when I wrote an article with him a couple of years ago. Uh, you've probably interacted with him and or his parents over the years. Everybody speaks incredibly highly of him. He didn't realize who's being videoed in that bunker two days ago. I get it. But you can't be teasing somebody about that. And Justin Thomas is the last person I would ever expect to break a rule. I don't think he's about to do a Patrick Reed. But that's just not a good look. And I get it. This is a different era. This is a different time. He didn't realize that would be done. But that's something you do on the spring break Bahamas trip. Not that he would be on that trip. Uh, and not at the President's Cup when you've got cameras, microphones, and stuff all around you. That's just my two cents. But, you know, some will probably say it's not a big deal. It's just guys having fun. But in, in my mind, that was Justin Thomas going one step too far. Maybe it's paranoia on my part, but uh, having been a reporter you know, this long at this point in where we are in media consumption, I pretty much assume everything that I do in public is going to be either photographed or recorded in some way. And I have nowhere near the same level of scrutiny on me as Justin Thomas. He had to know there was a camera there. They trailed yeah. trail with every practice group. He knew it. Uh, he knew a mic could pick it up. And he said what he said. And I understand he's trying to rip the guy while still trying to kind of be somewhat friendly. I mean, all of these guys are on this team, however they feel personally about what Patrick did. They have to play nice in public, and they have to play nice, frankly, in private for the most part because they got to get along. It's got to work for four days. After that, you can torch the guy. But for this week, they got to be nice to him. I don't think that it was the best choice for Thomas to make light of a of blatant rules violation like that, especially given how sore a lot of people are about it. Um, but I, I, maybe that's the best way Justin felt like he could deal with it. I don't think it's, you know, it's, I saw a couple of tweets about uh, basically being out on JT or embarrassed uh, about what he did. And I can get that, but what's the guy supposed to do? Say nothing? Is he... Is he if he says something, does it have to be sober and somber and super serious? Or can he get in his jabs while kind of having a laugh at the guy's expense? I, I just feel like, yeah, I, I don't agree. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have done it that way. But I feel like we put these guys in particular under such scrutiny for literally everything that they do that it 
almost is an explanation for why the reaction, Justin's reaction was what it was, and why you hear from, like, Webb Simpson, like, well, I like Patrick. I think he's, he's great. And then don't talk at all about uh, the, the penalty. Uh, talk about the action. Because these guys feel that they're brotherhood under scrutiny. So if you crush, you know, you go after one, you go after all. If you defend one, you defend all. It's almost what it stinks of to me. And uh, unfortunately, I think that that must, might just be the mindset that these guys have because of whatever traits that they share in this job. You know, uh, Ryan, uh, we're, we're talking to Ryan Ballinger here on Teeing It Up. I don't talk politics on the show. This is not a political statement. This is a technology statement. Barack Obama, I thought, had a great mindset when he was in office when it came to communication. He said, I assume that every single email I send will be seen by somebody someday. And thus, I never send anything via email that I would be embarrassed would come out later. And because of the restrictions put on him by by the Secret Service, he couldn't text. He could just email. So every criticism that he made of somebody was verbal, person to person. And now you're trusting that your team and your staff don't suddenly spread it. But by limiting the amount of people who could see you curse or speak badly of somebody or say that, you know, I can't believe, you know, whoever who's doing something you know, uh, uh, bizarre. I thought that's a really smart strategy for all of us. Just assume that all of your communication will be seen by somebody. If you're somebody like you and I who are paranoid and live in this space and thus the, the amount of scrutiny you can be under suddenly goes down because you understand what you're saying and and where you're saying it and how you're saying it. I mean, I, I don't get much hate mail, but I do occasionally. Uh, and I can't tell you the number of times I've wanted to respond to one of those types of messages where someone might make a personal attack or, uh, you know, an, an unfounded attack or something along those lines. And I want to respond with first words and being condescending and mean and then ultimately just delete that whole thing, write it out as a draft, as a catharsis, and then just be nice and yep. give a reasonable rational explanation or a reasonable rational response and just let it go um, and that and maybe that maybe that happened I don't know I mean even Lynch was saying that basically no one was talking about what Patrick did on the plane ride over and, and maybe that's how these guys at this level choose to deal with stuff by just not talking about it which isn't healthy at all uh, but if that's how they choose to deal with it and just kind of awkwardly laugh about it, which uh, seems like that's kind of the M.O. on this, um, then I, I guess then that's the way they're going to do it. But that that has consequences and limitations and problems with it. Um, but I guess that's how they're going to choose to go at it is totally avoid the fact that it happened and then just kind of move on with it and hopefully it doesn't reflect on them and it doesn't come out in their relationships and it doesn't come out how they perform this week. Is this the only chance the internationals have? Because let's be honest, the President's Cup has been um, one-sided, though it's been closer in a lot of years than a lot of people realize. The golf's going to be high quality, Royal Melbourne's high quality, and yet no President's Cup podcast, sorry, no golf podcast that I take seriously has delved in, unless it was pre-recorded, has really delved into the President's Cup 
besides the Tiger playing part in Royal Melbourne. There's been none of this Ryder Cup analysis level that, that, that we've come to. And this, this, this international team is highly undermatched. This is a landslide on paper, folks. Unlike anything golf has ever seen in team competition, I believe, and you may know this, Ryan, I think this is the most, even with uh, uh, Kepka out, I believe this is the most lopsided, and Jason Day out, I think this is the most lopsided U.S. team on paper by like World Golf Ranking uh, um, average or something in, 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 in uh, history? I don't know that answer, but it's got to be close. I mean, all, all 12 Americans that are playing are inside the world top 24, and there are only three internationals in the world top right. 24. So, I mean, just doing basic math, it's, it's got to be a, a pretty significant stark contrast. Right. So with that setup and the fact that, yes, Hashtag vagaries happen in match play, and this is Royal Melbourne, and there's jet lag, and it's a long way, and it's December, but a bunch of these guys played well last week at the Hero or in Australia. Is this the only chance the Europeans have? Is it? Is this the villain that the international squad has needed? Is Patrick Reed the villain? And I, I don't, I don't think that comes off as a hot take because. It seems like at times they've needed something to rally around and failed to do it. And then Ernie Els changes their team logo. I'm like, that's a bunch of crap. Why is a logo going to suddenly bond a bunch of people from a ton of different countries together? That's just non-factual. Is this finally what can bond these people together? I don't know that they necessarily needed Patrick Reed to come together. I mean, I I don't think that's the case. Mm. Um... I think that having seven rookies on this team playing for the first time in a series where their elders, so to speak, have gotten stomped for 25 consecutive years, basically, I think that's all the motivation they need is we're going to be the ones to stop this. We're going to be the ones that surprise the world. We're going to be the ones that do this differently. But it doesn't hurt to have a guy that you think is a scumbag on the other team. I mean, it never hurts to have a an enemy real or imagined but I also think that there has to be a there has to be a self-drive there has to be a motivation that's personally internalized that doesn't have really anything to do with anybody else that's why you win it's why you win in golf it's why you typically win in sports it's not to beat someone else it's to be the best period so I think that what it comes down to for Els is, and I think he's tried to make this case in his public remarks at least, is his 12 guys that are inexperienced and uh, frankly less talented by at least ranking, that they need to view this as they're trying to do something that's bordering on a miracle. And if they can do it, uh, ride the wave. You know, Keep in there, ride the wave. If they can do that, they've got a chance. I don't, I don't know that Reed necessarily offers that much more motivation, maybe a point here and there when Reed plays. But if Reed stinks up the joint or he's clearly distracted, Tiger can just say, all right, man, you're going to the bench. you got to play once in the four sessions beforehand. you got to play in the singles matches. We'll see you later. So at most, you know, it could be worth a couple of points, but I think that it's got to be more than that. Um, and I'm with you 100%. Um, we only, now look, when I set out to do this podcast, I, I wanted to talk about Reed because I haven't talked about it anywhere. And I think it's the most interesting aspect of the President's Cup besides the golf course. 
Um, because I think the U.S. is going to be that dominant. I think the U.S. wins by six. I think it's that much of a dominating performance. There's nothing against the international squad. I just don't like their form coming in, and I don't like the way things are going, even though Ben on over Jason Day is probably an upgrade. Um, where are you, golf-wise, non-Patrick Reed um, edition, on, on this President's Cup? Are you excited? Are you bored? Are you going to have to watch it because it's what you do for your job, but you wish it wasn't happening? Where are you? And if you are intrigued, what intrigues you? Uh, I mean, I'm intrigued by certain facets of what. I mean, bottom line, I expect the Americans to win and pretty handily. I mean, if you look at the results over the years, with the exception of 2003 and 2015, both road games, mind you, and, and 1998, I suppose, the Americans won by at least three points. The last time they almost won on Saturday. So, uh, I mean, the, the track record isn't that good for the internationals. Um, that said, I'm still going to watch because, A, it's my job. But, B, I, I would love to. I love watching Royal Melbourne. I love watching Sandbelt Golf. I love watching Aussie Golf. So I'm going to watch that golf course, um, regardless of who's playing or what the score is. And I'm interested in the read factor. I'm interested in the rookies on the internationals. What, what are they going to do? Are they just going to lay an egg and set themselves up for another 20 years of getting stomped. Um, what, what's Tiger going to do? How, how is he going to manage this being a player and captain? And is it going to make him a less effective player? I mean, those are all interesting reasons to watch. Is it a captivating overall set of reasons for the average golf fan to watch? I, I don't know about that, especially in the middle of the night for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, if you, you're coming home, and you're going to watch the writer, or excuse me, the President's Cup today, starting at 5 p.m. Okay, yeah, I, you know that's fine. That's something to watch in the evening. It's something to do. But if you want me to stay up until you know two or three a.m. on Saturday to watch this thing play out, the first three days have got to go pretty well for the internationals. Because if it's out of hand, five or six points difference by the time we get to what's going to be Sunday there and Saturday night here. Um, forget it. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Luckily for you, uh, if there's no weather delays, 6 p.m. to midnight Eastern for Sunday singles, uh, Saturday night live on Golf Channel. Yeah, the Friday night is the, the longer yes. night with the two sessions. Yep, 3 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, and, and there's also an interesting Ryder Cup aspect here because guess who's captain today? Steve Stricker. Um, only the captains can, can uh, give advice. Tiger had to hand it over to somebody. He's given it to Steve Stricker, winning 2017 President's Cup captain and the 2020 Ryder Cup captain. There's not a lot you can do here, you know, specifically at Royal Melbourne, that'll correlate to whistling straights. But... There is, I think, an element of leadership, the bringing... So, so sorry, let me back up. You become... Let's, 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 let's try this a third time. You become a part of... You, you become the captain. The actual duties of the captain are not that much different. President's Cup to Ryder Cup It's not going to make a big difference for Whistling Straits. This is, however, another opportunity to be the, the 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 lead guy in the headset, and if you got to kick somebody in the butt to get them going, you can do it. And that's what I think will pay dividends at Whistling Straits, is, is 
is being in charge, knowing you're in charge, and for the three hours or three and a half, however long it takes Tiger and JT to win or lose or or, or tie, yeah, tie, because have no longer exists, win, lose, or tie, um, you're, you're in charge. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for being the captain. I think the captain role is as much about taking feedback from a lot of people and synthesizing it into a playing strategy. So I I think that being a captain is important. I mean, there is importance to it in a couple different ways. One, you have to synthesize information from your players and, I guess, your assistant captains, and you figure out who wants to play with who, and you put them in situations to be successful in the right formats. And the bigger part of it is being it's an atmospheric job where you read the room, you kind of motivate players, you create the easy atmosphere where it's you're just doing the boring stuff, the non-golf stuff makes it easy to make the performance inside the ropes a little bit easier too. But at the end of the day, I, I think these guys are 12 of the best professionals on the planet on the American side and 12 of the best on the planet on the international side. They're highly motivated to do well at chewing gum, much less playing golf. That's just the nature of who they are. So I don't necessarily think that kicking someone's ass uh, or, you know, being difficult with them or whatever, trying to rev them up, I don't know that the captain can really get a whole lot out of that. Maybe certain players, but for the most part, these guys are self-driven. So I think for Stricker to take over in this role when Tiger's playing, it doesn't mean that much to the end result of it, but there could be situations where you know, you got to start thinking about performance of players during a session, and then you, especially when we're talking about day three, when you've got to think about what's going on in the morning, what leads to the afternoon. And if Tiger plays in the morning, then Stricker's important for that day because he needs to give feedback to Tiger as they plan the afternoon session. So that's really the one and only instance where I think Steve is a particular asset or can be a particular asset over just Tiger being aware and alive on the golf course. But we'll see how it plays out. We, we shall, and obviously this is going to be something where you'll never see a playing captain in the Ryder Cup just because of, of the double sessions. It just can't happen that way. So unless you've yep. got a situation where the, where the captain somehow won like 80,000 consecutive majors and I think at that point you would just see that captain resign from his duties and be taken over by somebody else but formally taken over by somebody else and not a playing um, person um, just to take a, a larger view of golf here for a second I'm curious to see how Dustin looks this this week with coming back from his knee injury now we have Brooks Kepka who's out um, I would have voted him for player of the year. Um, the his his peers obviously rewarded rewarded Rory for his consistency. We're, we 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 are looking at the R word. We are looking at a rivalry in twenty twenty. But a lot of that banks on how Kepka's knee is, and we've not seen a lot of video of Mister Kepka walking or doing much. We've seen pictures of him places, but not moving. How concerned are you about Brooks Kepka's health? Not particularly. I mean, he's a young guy, so he's obviously a very physically fit guy. So the rehabilitation shouldn't be that bad. Probably just came back a little too soon. We'll just have to see how that looks come January. But, um, you know, Kepka's going to kind of ease into his year. He's going to go play the Saudi event. He's going to play 
a limited schedule basically up until the Florida swing, and then it's kind of when it really matters for him. So I think he's got some time. I'm not too worried about it quite yet. And we also know that Brooks is kind of famously uh, fickle about regular events that aren't majors. So I, I don't know if we're actually going to see a full effort, full-on effort to crush a field until Augusta. And in that sense, maybe that gives, uh, gives him a little bit of leeway to kind of, again, ease into what he's going to try and do in 2020. Great point. Uh, final thing for Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net. Um, what happens first? Tiger gets number 83 or the PGA Tour TV deals are signed? I think the PGA Tour deal will be announced in the next couple of weeks. I mean, they've made every indication that they've got something that they want to get out there, or at least they want to announce a winner by the end of the year. Uh, and if that's the case, then we don't have many more weeks. Then I know we don't see Tiger play uh, until you know January next year. And probably Corey uh, at that. I don't nope. think. I mean, it, it would it would help his Olympic chances to go to Kapalua, but I don't think he's going there. No, I don't think so either. So that's going to be a really that's going to be a really fascinating. Uh, 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 sorry, go ahead, Ryan. My fault. We could see him at Tory, you know, yeah. right when he kicks off the year, and then we, you know, we go from there. But yeah. um, I have a feeling the tour is going to have something sooner than later, even if none of us know exactly what that's going to be. Yes, we're a bunch of very confused people. Um, I do think something fascinating for 2020, and we'll, and, and we'll talk about this when I have you on um, New Year's week, is the Olympics and the fact that Tiger is going to lose his second at Valspar before these rankings are set June 22nd. He needs to play. He needs to play well. There is a lot of pressure if Tiger wants to make the one Olympic team that he can make. And it's going to be really fascinating to see what he does and what some other players in similar spots in their careers do versus those who have two, three more chances in in their lifetimes. It's going to be fascinating, especially for a country like the U.S., for men in South Korea, for the women um, who have that four-person limit. Yeah, they're really the only countries, you know, the, the USA for the men's side and, and South Korea for the women's side, to even entertain getting four people onto the Olympic team for both of those 60-person tournaments. So it's going to be a lot of jockeying. I, I think there will be a lot more excitement about the Olympics this time around, Olympic golf this time around, particularly on the men's side. It'll be fun to watch. Yes, and uh, knock on wood that no reason comes up for them to skip because everybody so far has said I'm in. So knock on wood, let's hope no uh, socioeconomic club world events uh, happen that that, uh, th- that throw a wrench in, that, in those plans, but everybody seems excited about it right now. Ryan Balanchine, Golf News Net, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you all for listening.